If you got your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of 1 John. We are kicking off a brand new series today, uh, and we're going to be reading through uh, every verse of the book of 1 John over the next seven weeks and, and do our best to understand what this incredible letter to the church has to say to us. Um, really excited for this series, really excited for what God can speak through this. Um, anytime we do a series like this where we're going verse by verse through a specific book, this is a discipleship series. This is a series for those of us who, who have already met Jesus, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, um, to, to compel us to, to follow Jesus better. That's not to say other series are not discipleship series, or this is the only type of series that does that, but, but specifically, specifically for those of us uh, who call ourselves Christians. Um, the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Very similar introduction to his gospel, if you're familiar with it. And John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we, we see this emphasis, this theme in John's writings that Jesus is the Word. There, there's a great emphasis on Logos, the Word, uh, to John. Verse 2, he says, The life appeared, the life that being Jesus. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship. With us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. We write this to make our joy complete. And so, there, there's a lot of questions that this letter brings up, some of which we know the answer to, some of which we don't. One is, who, who's we? We know that John is the primary author of this. Is he writing uh, is, is representative of a specific church or a specific group? Um, we're, we're not clear on that, um, but we do know this. John had some very specific purposes in writing. If you're not familiar with the book of 1 John, it's going to be five chapters long. In fact, here's my encouragement for you, my challenge to you, City Church. Um, starting tomorrow, I want you to read one chapter in the book of 1 John every day this week. So John, 1 John 1 tomorrow, 2 Tuesday, on down through Friday. And then Saturday, here's the big challenge, and it's the weekend, you got a little bit more time. I want you to read the whole book in one sitting. Uh, and here's why I want you to do that. Uh, because number one, five chapters is not too much. You were capable of reading five chapters. Um, but two, that's the way the original readers actually would have read it. When John wrote this letter, they didn't read a section of it and stop and say, we'll read some more tomorrow, and then we'll read some more on Wednesday and some more on Thursday. They, they opened up this letter as the church received it, and wow, John, this disciple that Jesus loved, this right-hand man to our Lord and Savior, one of his three most loved and, and, and most trusted disciples, wrote us a letter. They would have sat down and devoured it top to bottom. And so Saturday, I want us to sit down and devour it top to bottom together, because I think there's things that you'll notice when you read it in one sitting that you wouldn't necessarily see as you read it piece by piece. So that's my challenge, that's my encouragement this week. Um, we don't know exactly who John wrote this letter to. Um, we know that he wrote to a specific church or perhaps a group of specific churches 
in a specific region. So, so we've got some questions about who he wrote it to. We've got some questions about who he was writing with. Here's what we do know, though. Here's what we can say with some, some great certainty. We can answer why he wrote it. Um, and, and so what I want to do today is today's going to be pretty much an introduction to 1 John. We're not going to talk uh, in fact, those first four verses, that's all we're reading today. We're going to do the primary verse by verse over the next six weeks. Today, I just want to introduce to you this book. What is it for? Why was it written for us? Why was it passed down to us? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire um, the, our, our, our church ancestors to say, you know what, this is part of the canon. This is something that needs to be passed down to future generations. And, and here's what I want to hit on. Real strongly, in, in looking at his purpose and looking at why he wrote it, um, there was a division in this church or in this group of churches. Believe it or not, Christians have been struggling to get along for 2,000 years. We didn't invent this. We didn't, we didn't, man, figure it out for ourselves. It's not an American issue. It's not a consumerist issue. It's not a racial issue. It's a people issue. We have a hard time getting along, don't we? And so there was division in the church even 2,000 years ago. To me, I don't know about you, that encouraged me. Maybe that's discouraging, but I found it encouraging that, you know what, man, even, even at the very beginning, even the first people who met Jesus and walked with him and saw him, even they sometimes had some challenges in getting along because they didn't have it all figured out either. So there was a division in the church. Specifically, there had been a church split. There had been a group of believers who, who had left the church. There was one side who saw things one way and another side who saw things another way. And so John is writing to the ones who remained. He, he's writing to those who, who stayed behind, to those who said, you know what, we're sticking this out. We're going to stand firm. We're not going to let division run us off. We're not going to be discouraged. We're going to stand firm in who we are and in what we believe. Um, H. Ray Dunning in the Asbury Bible Commentary actually lists three specific issues that John addresses in this letter. There may have been other issues that contributed to the church split, but there's three issues that John specifically hits on and says, here's what some of those in your church believed, and, and this is why they left, because they don't agree with you, and here's why it's important to not believe the way they do, or to not act the way they do. In other words, he's affirming those who left behind and saying, you got it right, and here's why you're right, and here's why it's important that we all get this right. And I think as we read through this, the very minute specifics may not really seem super applicable, but if we can zoom back out to the general principle, you're going to see, you know what, we go through these same exact things. In different ways. I think you'll find it very relevant to your life. So I'm just going to quote H. Ray Dunning in these three points. If you're taking notes, put these down, and then we'll come back and explain them a little bit. But the number one is, is John raised a theological issue, that some were denying the reality of the incarnation. So, so what was going on is there was a group. In fact, much of John's ministry and, and career was dealt with, with addressing this group. He was an apologist to this specific group. They're known as the Gnostics. Not agnostic, but G-N-O-S-T-I-C, the Gnostics. The Gnostics had a, an interesting set of beliefs. They believed that Jesus was God, but that he was not man. That, that God came down from heaven, that he, he came and, and he took on some sort of a form, but he was still just God. He wasn't a person. He wasn't human. He didn't suffer the way we suffer. He wasn't tempted the way that we're tempted. He was just God. And so that's what Jesus was to them. I think it's interesting that in the early days of the church, 
Much of the controversy about Jesus was not denying that he was God, but denying that he was man. Seems kind of odd to us, doesn't it? Because in, in our generation, most people will tell you, yeah, Jesus really was a man, but he wasn't God. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was a guy. He was a Jew. We'll give him those things, but we won't give him the deity. But in John's day, the argument was reversed. Here's why I think that is. I think it was really hard to deny his deity when somebody dies and raises again and said that's what was going to happen. I think for those who lived in that generation, it was really hard to say Jesus isn't really God. When uh, you got hundreds of people who say, well, I just watched that guy die and three days later raised back to life, and I know why he did it, and he told me this was going to happen. It was really hard to deny his deity in that generation. So what the enemy did, instead of trying to deny his deity, he started getting people to deny his humanity. There's a theological term, and we're going to do some big theological terms in this series. I hope you guys are ready. I hope you got your notes. I hope you're ready for, for me to expand your vocabulary a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. Theological term that I actually learned for the first time when I was at Tacoa Falls College and Bible College, um, and I love this term, it's the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union. What the hypostatic union is and, and what it means is, is simply it's the personal union of Jesus' two natures. In other words, the, the Christians, our early fathers, affirmed from, from very early on that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He was not 50% God and 50% man. He wasn't 75% God and 25% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Why is that important? Well, it's important because Jesus could not stand in as, as the second Adam. So basically, Adam comes and Adam blows it, right? Adam messes up, and you and I inherit a sin nature from Adam. All of us are condemned to sin. We are going to sin. We don't have an option. We don't have a choice. It is in our very nature we're going to sin. So Jesus comes as the second Adam. He comes to live the perfect life, the sinless life, to now make it possible for you and I to live the sinless life. If he was just God, none of that matters. He had to be fully man. This is why the virgin birth is important. This is why the incarnation is important. This is why all those things that, that maybe we don't debate and really wrestle with in our generation as much, but it's why they matter because Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. He had to be able to be tempted the same way that you and I are tempted by sin. If he was just fully God, he couldn't be tempted by sin. You can't tempt God. But Jesus was tempted. Why? Because even though he was God, he emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself of his power as God and came as a man, just like you and just like me, with the same desires, with the same flesh, with the same ability to be tempted. And so the Gnostics denied that. There was this group that they called themselves Christians. They were followers of Jesus, but Jesus was just God. He was not man. And so John writes to address this. In fact, uh, our, our Bible scholar, Mr. Dunning, he puts it this, a, this way, H. Ray Dunning. He calls it a per, the three perversions that John's addressing. So this is the first perversion, that Jesus was not man. The second perversion that he addresses is not the theological, it's the ethical. Um, and, and Dunning says, being antinomian in regard to sin. Antinomian is another theological word that we're going to stretch a little bit today to get, and I'll explain it for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. So an antinomian is the idea that because of grace, we no longer have to worry about 
morality. Jesus paid the price for our sins. It's covered. It's done. We're not under law. We're under grace. So live however you want. Now, that one is a little more relevant in our generation and in our culture. We may not use the word antinomian to define it, but, but you see this prevalent. In fact, I think, unfortunately, this is increasing. As, as we get a better idea of grace, sometimes we get a better idea that, hey, I can live however I want to. And, and it's very, very dangerous. It's very messed up if, if we go this way because it allows us to step outside of God's best for our lives. And in the process, what we do is we deny Christ to the world. If we look just like the world does, why do they want Jesus? If we live the way everybody else lives, what is there in us to compel the lost to say, I need that? See, the very essence of grace is that I couldn't fix myself, only he could fix me, but that in the process, I've been fixed. Not that I'm perfect, not that I got it all mastered, I'm still going to struggle and still have my mistakes, and we tell people all the time here, you are free to struggle at City Church, but understand this, struggle means you're striving to be better. Doesn't mean you're content to wallow in your sin, content to live in your sin, content to, to say, you know what, this is just who I am, and this is just how God made me, and this is just who I'm going to be. Say, you know what, I'm going to strive for God's best. And in the process, I might miss it. And in the process, I, I might struggle. And there might be some stuff that sticks with me for a while. There might be a process before I get fully delivered. But I'm aspiring to that process. I'm not just going to settle to live the way the world lives. So, so John addressed the theological concern that they denied that Jesus was man. And he addressed the ethical concern that they denied that they had to live according to God's best. And then thirdly, H. Ray Dunning says he addressed an attitudinal concern. They were manifesting a lovelessness inconsistent with authentic Christian faith. In other words, the, the, this group who had split off, this group who was no longer a part of the church, and John's warning the rest of them, don't, don't follow that way, don't go that route. They felt like, you know what, well, Jesus isn't really man, so he didn't understand what we go through. And, and he came and he paid the price for us. He was grace, gave us his grace so we can live however we want to. And because we can live however we want to, I don't really have to worry about you. I can just live for me. And John says, no, God is love. And he says, if, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother or sister, then he's not in you. He has no part in that. We are compelled to love one another. So essentially, and you can write this down if there's too many big words or too many terms that are going to be difficult to remember in that. Essentially this, John wrote his first epistle because he's concerned about three things. He's concerned about what Christians believe. He's concerned about how Christians live. And he's concerned about how Christians love. That's really it. That's what it's all about. John says it matters what I believe as a Christian. In other words, he cares about my mind. He cares about my thoughts. He cares about the things that I let in here. I need to line this up with the word of God. What, what's a misbelief? What, what, what is he worried about? He's worried about anything that denies who Jesus is. He's worried about anything that denies what the word of God says. So, so he addresses what Christians believe. Secondly, he addresses how Christians live. We're not going to settle 
for looking like the world. We're not going to settle for, for, for living in sin. Jesus came to pay not just the price for my forgiveness from sin, but my freedom from sin. And if Jesus paid the price for me to be free from sin, but I decide, you know what, it's not that big of a deal for me to be free from sin, I'm rejecting his sacrifice. Say, you didn't die for anything. You died for nothing. So John says it matters the way we live, and then he says it matters the way we love. It matters the way that we relate to one another. It matters the way that we reach out to the world, to the lost, to the last, the lost, and the least. It matters how we love people. I think it's a pretty awesome summary of the gospel. I think it's a pretty awesome summary of, of why we follow Jesus to begin with. And, and so he speaks to our head, what we believe. He speaks to our hands and our feet. How do we live? He speaks to our heart. How do we love? And so in these five chapters, the reason I'm telling you this stuff up front is I want you to see it as we go through it. As you read it this week, I want, I want those things to speak to you. Man, he's speaking to my beliefs. He's speaking to my mind. He's speaking to my actions. He's speaking to my hands and my feet. He's speaking to my love. He's speaking to my heart. I want you to see those things as you go through and, and allow God to speak to you in those ways. Here, here's what I think. I think we're all guilty as Christians of overemphasizing one or two of these things and underemphasizing one or two of them. We all have that one that we're passionate about, right? Like, man, I, I'm, I'm the theological guy. I want to make sure that I understand everything the Bible says, and I've got all these terms down, and I'm going to stand on theology. Or, or I'm, I'm going to walk in holiness, and I'm going to live right, and I'm going to judge everybody who lives wrong, and I, so I'm going to get this right, and I'm going to be pursue God's best in the way that I live. Or, man, I'm just going to walk in love. I'm not going to worry so much about how I live, but, but I want to make sure that I, I express the love of God in everything that I do. And, and the thing is, if, if we only emphasize one or two things in our life or one or two of those things in our church, I want to illustrate this for you. This mic stand, or, the, or this music stand, excuse me, has three legs. What happens if we cut one of these legs off? It's going to topple over, right? Like it's going to be out of balance. And here's what I felt like God said to me this week. We got a lot of two-legged music stand Christians at City Church. We even got some one-legged music stand Christians at City Church. And God forbid, we might have some no-legged music stand Christians at City Church. In other words, we got a lot of people. And this isn't a put-down. This isn't a criticism. I love you guys with all my heart. But he's saying, you know what? I'm calling you to have all three of these things. I want your mind, I want your actions, and I want your heart. I want it all to line up because when it all lines up, you can stand in perfect harmony. That's the beauty of a tripod, right? A, a three-legged music stand, a three-legged camera stand. Why do, why do you use a, a stand with three legs for a camera? You don't use four because the four can get out of balance. But if it's three legs, it will never be out of balance. First John is a tripod book. He says, I got three legs for you. And if you'll stand on all three of them, your life is going to line up. You're going to stand firm. You're going to be in balance. But if you get one leg a little bit off or you get one leg that's cut off that you don't allow to develop, man, that wind can come by and, and knock you over. The enemy can come and, and start to tip some things and your life can start to go sideways and things aren't going to line up the right way. So he says, I want you to have all three legs prevalent in your life. So, what we're going to do through this series is we're going to get in balance. We're going to get in balance. We're going to get our beliefs right. We're going to get our actions right. And we're going to get our hearts right. For some of us, we have, ha have allowed 
our beliefs to get out of line. In other words, what we do is, is we say, you know what, I know the Bible might say this, but I don't really think that's the way that God is. This is how I see God. This is how I think he is. And, and I'm going to ignore what the Bible says, and I'm going to say it's this way. Here's the problem with that. When I do that, I make myself God. Because I'm saying that I'm defining what's right, and I'm defining what's wrong. I'm defining what's good, and I'm defining what's bad. And so God's going to live up to my standards rather than me living up to his. And so John says the beliefs matter. The mind matters. We've got to get that correct. We've got to get it right. Here's what's so interesting. Notice that the Gnostics that John was confronting didn't have all wrong beliefs. They had a lot of right beliefs. Their whole premise was Jesus was God. That sounds like a pretty good belief, right? They had a lot of it right. But because they only chose the part that they liked and rejected the part that they didn't like, they got out of balance and they got messed up. And so John says, you've got to accept all of Jesus. You've got to take him as he is in all of his Jesusness. You can't just take the part of Jesus that you like and reject the part that you don't. And you may not be Gnostic. And you may not struggle with thinking Jesus is God and he's not man. But I guarantee you there's a lot of people in our generation who struggle with taking this part of Jesus that we like and rejecting that part that we don't. And he's calling us. He's compelling us to say, you know what? You need the fullness of Jesus. In our lives, our beliefs have to line up with what the word says rather than making the word line up with what our beliefs say. It's an extremely dangerous place to be. In the process, we become like the tripod that's missing a leg, right? We, we get out of balance. We miss it. You can, be, you can live a great life. You can live a holy life. You can have great love for people, but if your beliefs are off, your life's going to be out of balance. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm not saying you're going to miss everything that, that God has for you. I'm just saying you're going to miss his best. And it's my job as your pastor to call you to God's best, to challenge you to God's best. So we're going to get our beliefs right. Secondly, I, I believe there's city, Christians, even here at City Church, your life's out of balance because of the way that you live. Maybe you got the beliefs right up here, and maybe you're really good at love. I think love is probably our strongest category at City Church. But you know what? You're, you're embracing sin in your life. And you're tolerating sin in your life. And you've settled for sin in your life. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I've got something better for you. It's time to grow that other leg. It's time to put some balance. The reason why you're, you're so up and down, the reason why things are good and then they're bad and things keep falling apart is because you're not developing the balance that I've called you to. You're not dealing with the sin. And so the, through the book of 1 John, you're going to recognize the Apostle John addressed some sin and he's going to call us to live as children of light. He says there's no darkness in him. And so if there's some darkness in you, as you read through this, as we go through this season, through this series, allow God to speak to you and to shine his light into that darkness. Repent of it, get it right, and develop that leg that's going to give you that tripod base. It's going to give you that, that place that you can stand. Lastly, and again, I think this is our our greatest strength, but, but I'm sure there's those in our church, too, who are out of balance because we're missing some love. I think our heart is probably our greatest strength of the three, not so much our mind and not so much our actions, but I think this church has a great heart. I love the heart of this church, but that doesn't mean we've all got it right. That doesn't mean any of us have it completely right. Maybe there's a piece where, you know what, we love just about everybody, but, man, there's that one over there. <laughs> 
there's that person or that group that we just can't stand. And John says, you can't claim to love God and hate your brother or your sister. You just can't. It's not compatible. It's not doable. If you truly love God, you will love what God loves. And oh my gosh, he loves people. He loves sinners. He loves the lost. He loves the people in that other political party that you can't stand. He loves the people in that other religion that you can't stand. He loves the people in that other part of the world that you can't stand. He loves people. And we cannot claim to love him if we don't love people. If you're walking in holiness and walking in right beliefs, but but your heart towards people isn't right, you're out of balance. And the Apostle John, through the the leading of the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to you through these next five chapters and these next few weeks. And he's going to call you to allow God to begin to remake your heart, to begin to open your heart up to the fact that he wants you to love everybody, that he made those people in his image, that Jesus died for those people's salvation. And he's calling you and compelling you to love them. So John says, we're going to get in balance. We're going to get our mind right, we're going to get our actions right, and we're going to get our heart right. And I know the truth is there's probably everybody in this room where there's a piece of that that, that is a little bit off. Because we're human, right? We're, we're, we're not yet completely made into his image. We're not yet in heaven where, where all things are going to be right. And, and so my challenge for you, uh, apart from reading it this week, because I think it's really important for us to read it, but, but my second challenge for you is then to open up Your mind, open up your heart, open up your eyes to allow God to speak to you and put his finger on an area. Maybe you don't even see it now. Maybe we're going through it and you're like, man, I feel pretty good about these. But as we read through, as we study through, Holy Spirit may put his finger and say, you know what? That's that's some bitterness you still have towards this person. I need you to repent of that. I need you to get rid of that. I need you to go to them and make it right. He he may just put his finger on something and say, here's here's a habit you've had for 30 years. (laughs) And you've just, you know, this is just who you are but it's not who I've called you to be. And I'm calling you to lay that thing down to become more like Jesus. He may put his finger on something and say, you know, I know this part of my word has always made you uncomfortable and you've always felt like, you know what, I'm just going to ignore that. But I want you to embrace who Jesus is in his fullness. I want you to have his very best. He's going to call us to develop three legs, to stand firm as a tripod, to be in balance. And I invite you, I compel you, I challenge you through the next seven weeks, to stick with this, to embrace this process. It may not always be comfortable. It may not always be fun. I don't like it when God has to confront stuff in me, but I'm so glad he does. Because you know why he does it? Because he loves me. He loves me too much to leave me in false belief. He loves me too much to leave me in sin. And he loves me too much to leave me in hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness to other people. He loves me too much for any of that. So he's calling me and calling me and calling me to be more like Jesus. And he's calling you the same thing. Why? Because God is love. Because that's who he is. And we're going to see that throughout the book of 1 John. Join us on this journey. It's part of our Memorial Day festivities. You probably noticed when you came in. It's one of my favorite things to do every year. We always take communion on Memorial Day weekend. Because what is communion? Communion is the time when Jesus says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And what did Jesus do? He laid down his life. 
for his friends. So just as we remember the, the soldiers, and I don't want to diminish what they've done at all, they're heroes, and I'm grateful for each and every one of them, but just as we remember their sacrifice, I'm going to remember the most important sacrifice that was ever made for me, the only one that's going to mean something throughout eternity, and that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to partake in communion. So if you would, would you just stand up maybe the first couple rows, come down, grab a piece of bread, grab the juice, and you can head back to your seats. The worship team is going to come down, and don't partake of the elements yet. We'll partake together in just a couple minutes. Also, there's a gluten-free cracker on the back side of the plate. If you've got um, gluten intolerance, make sure and grab one of those. If you're not gluten intolerant, leave those for those who are. Uh, thank you, guys. You can sit as you get back to your seats. get back to your seats, I want to read to you this very famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can grab a seat. We'll have you stand up with us in just a moment. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I can't read this passage and, and not be amazed by that statement. Jesus is about to die. He knows what he's going to go through. He knows the whips that are going to rip through his back. He knows the thorns that are going to pierce his head. He knows the nails that are going through his wrists and his feet. And he's, he's about to lay down his life. Just hours before he does this for you and for me, he makes one last request. He says, don't forget. Don't you dare forget my sacrifice. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it willingly. I'm going to do it because I love you. I'm going to do it because I want you to have God's very best. But please don't forget what I'm going to do for you. I need you to remember. So he institutes this, the Lord's Supper. He institutes communion. And he says, do this in remembrance. So today we, we honor the last wish of Jesus. How cool is that? Not the last, last wish because he's still alive. But the last wish he made before he went to the cross that we would remember. Today we get to honor that wish. He says in verse 25, Paul says, in the same way after supper he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, he says, you used to have to sacrifice animals. You used to have to kill a lamb to pay the price for your sins. And, and next year you had to kill another one. And you had to kill another one. He said, but now the perfect lamb has come. And because of this lamb, you don't have to kill any more lambs. There is no other sacrifice you'll ever need. This blood covers all your sins. It washes away all that you've done. It's a new covenant Verse 26, he says, for whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, we're proclaiming that he died, but we're not just proclaiming he died. We're proclaiming he's alive and he's coming again as we partake of this together. Normally, that's about where we stop, but 
But every once in a while, I like to go into the next section, and I think today is the right day for us to do this. Verse 27, Paul says, So then whenever, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, we could spend a lot of time arguing what does it mean to eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ. We can go through some real deep theological discussions, and I don't think that's necessary today. Here's what I want to emphasize. Paul says, before you take communion, examine yourself. Take a good look at you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. In just a minute, the, the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, man, if you want to enter in, feel free to enter in. But, but I want you to examine your heart. And, but I want you to look specifically through the lens of 1 John. Do you have some, some beliefs that don't line up with the word of God that you've just never submitted to his lordship? Give those to him today. Do you have some actions that don't line up with the word of God? Some stuff that you know God has called you to stop, some things that he's told you to lay down, and you just continue walking in that habit, walking in that thing. Lay it down today. Give it to Jesus today. Do you have some issues with some people? I don't mean there's somebody who gets on your nerves, because every one of us got somebody who gets on our nerves. But, but I'm talking about, is there somebody that you can't walk in love towards? Is there somebody who, it's gotten to the point that, man, there's a bitterness, there's an anger, there's, a, there's an unforgiveness there, there's an issue there. Every time their name comes up, every time you hear their voice, man, that if you're at that place, submit your heart to Jesus today. Ask him for his ability to love those people because that's the only way you can do it. It's not through your ability, it's through his. But examine your heart today as we get ready to take communion because I don't want any of us to partake of this unworthily. Now, if you're not a Christian today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the one thing, the only thing we do here at City Church in any of our services that I'm going to ask you not to participate in. We love for you to sing with us. We love for you to take notes along with us. We love for you to be a part of anything we do except this. And this is why. Because Jesus reserved this for those of us who identify him as our Savior. But here's the good news. If you don't know Jesus yet, there's no reason why you can't today. Man, we would love to allow you and to welcome you into his body, into his family. All you have to do, and, and I'm just going to let you do this on your own right there at your seat, is just cry out to him and say, I'm sorry for my sins. I want you to be Lord of my life. In other words, you're in charge. Not just, I, I, I want to go to heaven. Not just, man, I, I want to be able to say I'm a Christian, but you're my Lord. You're in charge. You're in control. And if you do that, the Bible says, He's going to wash your sins away. He's going to send his Holy Spirit to live in you. You're going to be a new creation. So we're going to invite you as the rest of us examine our hearts. You can do that right there at your seat. If, if you need somebody to pray with you, man, you can just slip up your hand or, or come grab me. and I'd love to pray with you and help you walk through that. But we're going to take just a, just a minute to examine our hearts. And we're going to examine through the lens of 1 John. Is there something in my mind that's off that doesn't line up with his word? Is there something in my hands and my feet, the way that I live, that's off? There's a sin issue. Is there something in my heart that's wrong towards other people? We're going to submit to his full lordship, mind, body, heart, and soul. Amen? Take just a couple minutes to examine yourself as the worship team leads us out. I hear the Savior say, thy strength. Indeed is small 
child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow 